Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe May podcast. It's episode 219. It's Thursday. That means it's time for weekend preview. UFC Apex 58. A pretty decent card from top to bottom, headlined by the battle of the Hafaels. Who's the best Hafael? We shall see. Although there are a couple other Hafaels in the UFC who may decide they have claim to the throne. These are the two highest ranked, the two furthest along, and they just so happen to be in the same division, Rafael Fazayev and Rafael Dosanjos. I'm Noah Baker, the guy on the right side of your screen. The man to my right, on the left side of your screen, is Dominic Salih. Dominic, it has been very stormy for both of us today, yeah. and due to that, you might be able to tell if you're watching this episode, because... Uh, the, the lag has been a little consistent, but we're persevering. We've, we're getting through it. And Dominic, I mean, probably wasn't a whole lot of swimming going on today, but how are you doing? No, no. Actually, the pool damn near overflowed. The rain came so hard and so much within an hour's time span. It was pretty crazy. But I'm doing well. Bear with us. We're going to fight through this. If there's any lag in the episode, you know, we're going to get through it. We've got fights to discuss, news to discuss. In our lives to discuss, Noah. One of my best friends right here, my co-host of the mm. podcast, coming up on two years. Whew. I don't know where all that energies came from, but now I'm kind of out wow. of it. I'm doing good. Are you doing good and ready to kick this show off? I am, and I. you just made a great reminder that we are coming up on the two-year anniversary of the show. Actually, a month from today is not the official start date, but is the unofficial start date. It is the date that we birth this podcast into existence yes within 24 hours of birthing the name the idea the format we had a microphone little kit from walmart 20 dollars <laughs> because we we spare no expense to make this show the best it can yeah. be and then uh a couple days later we met in dom's apartment that relic if this show does really like take off take off like people are going to be visiting that apartment like this is where episodes one and two of the below average joe's mma podcast were recorded dude never forget v5 <laughs> yeah it took me a second to connect the dots there but uh <laughs> all the same yeah i'm doing well man and you know i'm gonna be on vacation next week every my I think we're making a trip to Smoky Mountain of good old Tennessee. Um, but I'm so dedicated. I am so into what we do here that it is not work for me. This is a hobby. This is a lifestyle. Yes. It is a lifestyle that knows no limits. Dominic yes. was watching the fights while the wedding's going on last weekend. And I will still be here recording these episodes next week while on vacation um you only see one of them where i'll actually be there we're we're making some we're doing some shifting of our recording schedule for monday's recap so you only see a little new background and whatnot for a week from when you're watching this and uh yeah i'm looking forward to some relaxing days and some time off work but um the grind never stops dom damn right so our main event, actually, I made this mistake last episode. We gotta, yeah, 
<laughs> nice, nice little noise there. Uh, we got to plug our social media, and I've done enough talking about my vacation and whatnot. So, Dominic, you're the man plugging us today. Take it away. Yeah, so I'm going to plug us in really quick, Noah. You can find the podcast, first and foremost, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it above my head, um, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. That's on Instagram. That's on Twitter. That's on TikTok. You can find me personally on Twitter, on Instagram, at DSleep14. You can find Noah on Twitter, on Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. That's the socials. Now we're going to talk about the Battle of Raphael. Is your is the TikTok uh, still being pretty? Out? You still been hitting it hard, yeah. or uh, how's, oh yeah. yeah, we just had another big one the other day, our biggest one yet, actually. <laughs> oh well, wow. I need to, I need to re-download it to get on my burner account and <laughs> check it out. UFC Vegas, well, I slipped up. UFC Apex Fifty Eight. Rafael DeSanjos comes in at a plus 175 as it stands right now. There's been a lot of that line, but it's mostly shifted between the 170, 180. Taking on Rafael Fazayev, who's now a minus 205. So, Dominic, these lines tell a certain story, and I think that that would be the best way to start here. Rafael DeSanjos, weight champion and an absolute stalwart of this division. I believe that's the word I'm looking for there. A man who has stood the test of time. He in his fair share of battles. He has had his fair share of dominant victories. He's had his low points in the UFC. While Rafael Fazayev, kind of the new kid on the block in some ways. He he is of the new crop of just killers that are on the come up. You know, the Armand Saryukins, the Matos Gamrods. Uh, I mean, everybody that's on Jalen Turner now, I think. Is fairly early in that company. Um, he's kind of the one that crashed in first. He's, I mean, he's not necessarily the furthest along at this point. Matos Gamrot's a couple spots higher in the rankings, but he's kind of the first guy that really was breaking through of this mold. And he's looked great up to this point in his UFC career. He comes in five and one inside the UFC, I believe. His lone yep. loss was his debut. Uh, actually, got finished by Magomed Mustafayev. So that's kind of there. But since then, he's been absolutely just uh, taking on the likes of Hinato Moicano, Bobby Green, Bell in his last fight. Uh, so he is known for his striking for sure. It is powerful. It is precise. And, oh, yeah, he also does some matrix shit with his defense. So Dominic... When you look at this fight, you have a guy in Dos Santos who is so tested, who has stood the test of time, taking on the newer, the faster, the sh- maybe more powerful, um, shiny new toy that is Fazayev, but an opponent that is much less experienced and much less tested. I'm curious when this fight takes place, what X? What's the X factor for each fighter walking in? What do they need to? What do they need to emphasize most to get their hand raised? Man, the X factor for RDA, man, and I feel like it's been the story of his whole career—that durability. A guy that's been in there, he's done that. He's been through so many battles and wars. He's so well-rounded and so experienced he's fought so many different types of fighters and i've been in there with everybody so yeah i think that the durability the octagon 
you know, time, the IQ that RDA has accumulated for years and years. This is a guy that has been in the UFC since 2008. This is a former lightweight champion. This is a guy that's going to have his 11th UFC main event when that octagon cage closes on Saturday night. Then you look at Fazeev, Fazayev, whichever it is. Someone let us know in the comments. I've heard both. Someone solidify it for me. Uh, this is a guy that is super athletic, eight years younger, super powerful. He's that next wave of talent in the UFC, but he's never faced anyone with the experience, um, with the championship caliber talent that RDA possesses. And that's what makes it such a big test. That's what makes this such a perfect matchmaking um, by the UFC is to have these two go together in a main event. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to it, man. I think it's a great scrap. I think it's one that I don't see ending early, which means we get to see if RDA can continue to go minutes and minutes and rounds and rounds. And for Fazayev, who we haven't seen had that happen, yes, he's had his fair share of a couple three-rounders. When you step in there for a five-round fight, it's completely different. So there's many, many storylines here to follow along. There's many questions to be answered. Can RDA still get back to a title shot? Can Fazayev live up to this hype and catapult into title contention himself? I love it. I love this fight. It's beautiful. Yeah, Dom, I really do love this fight. And I think if I had to tell you what my X factors are for each guy, for Fazayev, it's got to be composure. It's got to be to not go in there, not let the brights be too light on you. You know, this is his first time in a main event spot. He's going up against his toughest test to date, a guy who's a tough matchup for anyone in this lightweight division. Mm-hmm. He's got a power advantage. He has a speed advantage. But don't get over don't overvalue that in this fight. Don't overvalue your athleticism and it can solve all your problems and try to put him away inside of a couple rounds. With RDA, it's barely ever happened. <laughs> he yeah. is just way too durable. Too skilled, too smart, too defensively sound to let that happen. So if you're Fazayev, you have to be ready to keep your offensive capabilities at a high level for rounds three, rounds four, rounds five. Yes. Do I think that he's capable of that? Sure. Um, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a balancing act for sure. I mean, I think a lot of in the later part fight than he did against Bobby Green. So maybe he's improved on it quite a bit, but rounds having those two extra championship rounds is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I think for RDA, big X factor has got to be you used durability as his X factor. I would probably go with longevity in a fight. I mean, it's the same thing essentially that we're saying here. Yeah. Um, but for me, I don't simply think the durability is enough because you have to have an offensively behind it. You know, he has, he can take some punishment for sure. He can take some big shots and he's going to probably have to, like I would say the way I see this fight going, unless RDA, the wheels have just fallen off and he's going to finish here quick. I think he will get up, but he's going to have, I think he's going to fire a little bit to have success in this fight. And early on, when everybody's still fresh, Fazayev is going to have a lot more success at using his speed, his strike, yeah. be very quick, early, powerful, 
but he just has to find those openings, maybe pepper with leg kicks, whatever it is. Try to just knock him down a peg. And then when you get to rounds three, four, five, that's where he has to really try to – anytime Fazayev makes a big movement, he goes for a big shot, a big spinning kick or something, you go for the clinch. him up against the fence and try to take him to the ground. And even if you don't get him to the ground, you force him defense with so exhausting and – Make him fight your fight. I mean, RDA is so talented. He is a, one of the most well-rounded fighters inside of the entire UFC. Fazayev, while I'm sure he is getting better in a lot of different areas of his game, mostly just an elite striker. So these other areas, RDA is going to have to use his advantage and look to take the fight there to get the victory. I think I actually get props for Fazaya for wanting this fight so much because I think out of all the matchups that are in front of him in the lightweight division, RDA might be the toughest one for him in terms of just where the strengths lie and where everybody's skill sets are. I mean, I think Fazaya might have bigger advantages over the likes of Justin Poirier than he does RDA. Just the skill sets are what matter here. And um, I think this is a great fight. I think it's an, mm-hmm. one of those fights that, again, we've been talking about for a while. It deserves to be a main event. It feels like a main event. There's something to be learned here. And RDA is nobody's gatekeeper. He is looking to get another shot at that lightweight title. And because of that, he's coming in here with the authority or away in Fazayev. Yeah, man. And I just want to say, like, to your point, when you're talking about the fight styles of RDA when comparing it to Fazayev, you know, Rafael Fazayev, I can't, can't just say Rafael because there's two of them, has been in there with guys like Bobby Green, Brad Rydell, who, yes, do bring, you know, a pace and a pressure, you know, like RDA does. He brings a lot of pressure and pace, but RDA brings so much more to the table than what those two do with that clinch, as you mentioned, with that super underrated ground game and BJJ. Uh, just his wrestling and grappling in general. He's very physically strong as well. Um, and honestly, on the feet, not too bad. Granted, I know his last five-round outing, he pieced up Hanato Moicano, who's not necessarily known to be a striker. But still, to do that to him over the course of five rounds, I think just shows a competence to where Rafael shouldn't feel like just because he's more dynamic and more athletic on the feet, he can just go in and starch RDA. Because, again... That just does not happen. So there's just so much more that RDA is going to bring to this fight that Fazayev has not yet seen on top of that experience, on top of that championship caliber um, and the the main event spotlight that he's had on him time and time again. Uh, And that's what just adds, I think, more pressure to Fazayev. But two, I loved your point where you said credit to Fazayev for wanting this fight because he has been very verbal about wanting. This is the matchup that he wanted. Um, And nobody really wants to fight RDA when you really look at this division there's no one going out of their way to yeah. call him out and say that name so I think it says a lot about the mentality of Fazayev as he climbs these rank uh, and of course for RDA to take on an up and coming guy like this he essentially just wants to knock him down and keep climbing back to a potential second title reign also so again it just adds on to all the storylines all the X's and O's and again why we want fights like these to be main events and let me ask you, because I did mention it in my kind of portion there. 
what's at stake here. So I know this is something we'll talk about more on Monday once the fight takes place. I know that Fazayev, this is the biggest fight of his career. I know this is a big moment for him. It's against a guy who is a literal mainstay, been in the UFC since, what, like 2009, uh, has been a light win. I mean, uh, the whole former or future Hall of Famer, for sure, like the guy's got the resume that's unparalleled in this division. Yeah. But for RDA, who... If you look at this fight on paper, you assume he's playing the gatekeeper role, which is why I kind of shot that down, because I don't think that's really fair to him at this point. I think you've seen on the performances he's had in his last few fights that he's back. He's not, again, he's not just trying to collect a couple more paychecks and then head on retirement. I mean, he's truly making a run here. And, you know, yes, I know he's had some pile up in the last few years, but he was also floating between a welterweight. And, I mean, he was never a good fit at welterweight. He's just too undersized for what his skills allow him. Um, So now he's kind of – that was kind of a big problem for him. The Paul Felder and Hinato Moicano performances, I think, tell you a lot about where he still, you know, is in this – keep even though funny both of those opponents be short notice so um that might have inflated his performance a little bit but i still think you sure. watch the skill set unfold in the fight and you know just how good he still is and those opponents are Hinata Moikano definitely not a guy that just i got to come off the couch or come out of the commentary booth and take another fight and he did so anyways my whole point dominic does not appear to be just slowing down, does not appear to be just, you know, wanting to play that gatekeeper role. But truly, how much is at stake for him here? You know, do you buy in that over Fazayev could put RDA in a position to where maybe it's one more and then he's fighting for a title? Maybe it's a title fight if the performance is big enough? I mean, it's a talent-stacked division, top-heavy for sure in, in, in terms of star power. Uh, where does he kind of fall in right now in your eyes in the ranks? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. And I know we talked a little bit off recording as well. I feel like skill set-wise, like you said, against the Felder, against Moicano, you do see where he still lies at 155 pounds. I would say, especially, I mean, Fazayev, again, not – leading the charge but kind of second in charge of this new wave behind Gamrot and you know if he were to come in here and beat RDA he it puts him right there in front of Gamrot by one spot so they're just going back and forth um but yeah so if RDA can come out here especially convincingly beat Fazayev I am very comfortable in saying he would be one win away from a title shot you have to take into account what a fighter has done for the company, for the division. This is a former champion. He's in the 20-win club. There's not too many in that elite group of fighters. So when you look at all that, uh, being paired with, again, Paul Felder, yes, it was short notice, but he was a ranked lightweight at the time. Moicano, a dangerous opponent, no matter if he's coming off the couch off of a few days or not. Um, and um, and then Alphazai of ranked number 10, I would comfortably say he would be one away. And I'd love to see him up against some of these other veterans like himself, because I've said this on the show before, these new guys are going to you know, start kind of fading out some of these older guys that have been in the division for a while. But RDA, 
fighting a little bit of both, but a fight with him and Gaethje, a fight with him and Poirier, fights that have never happened, even though they've been there for so long, definitely uh, piqued my interest and can get him in there for a title shot. So absolutely, I would say one away should he win here. Yeah, and I mean, not to over again, I'm going to try to keep most of these thoughts to the side. That's more what we talk about there. But I do just want to mention that depending on the kind of performance we get, he might be on a short list for a Conor McGregor return fight. Are you guys tired of me talking about Conor McGregor return fights? Well, there's another one. A fight that was supposed to happen, UFC 196. Uh, RDA had to pull out. That's when the whole Nate Diaz inserts himself and the rest is history. But now here we are a few years later. Look how the turns have tabled and all of a sudden (laughs) RDA could be on a short list. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But, Dominic, we're going to transition into some tidbits. Let's do it. So we have a few of them here. I hope that you did your homework and did not uh, fall victim to to yourself over the last few episodes where you have been avoiding your tidbit homework. But we start with some footage. Actually, this is all from UFC 276, kind of the fallout of International Fight Week. Uh, Henry Cejudo, he's looking for a fight, I think, Dom, as he's uh, seen facing off with Aljamain Sterling. He's talking to Alexander Volkanovsky after kind of pleading his case. And then a magnificent clip that went viral (laughs) on Twitter. He is WWE style mixed with a little bit of The Office interrupting Sean O'Malley's interview post-fight calling him precious. Davison Figueredo's in the background for some reason looking confused. You're filming the whole thing like a skateboard dad and laughing his ass off. I mean, what's going on here, Dom? Did, did, let me ask you this. I know, I know like, you know, the, 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 the clip that I'm talking about is like the funniest one and probably the most well-known of the three. But out of with all these taking place, you know, does, did this make you – believe a little more firmly that Henry Cejudo is serious about a return and did any of these improve his chances of getting one of these fights so it's funny they're all three so different um it's what's so great about it because let's just go in order of how they're on the sheet here the one with Aljo cringe as all be back in action that's what that that was like the most fake skit i think i've ever seen to try and get the in the, the push and everything it just felt so yeah. like unauthentic uh and then you go to the volkanovsky one very different very private and it's like it just so happened to get caught on camera yeah it almost seemed like he didn't know that he was being yeah. recorded yeah, like congratulating him, pleading why this would be a great fight, why it's a money fight for both guys, uh, kind of, you know, the history side of the thing, the legacy side of things there. And then the Sean O'Malley one, the clip in specific, if I can put that in here, I might try and do it. Hopefully, I don't know if I get in trouble. If I can, I will. But if not, you need to go find it. It is literally straight from the office. The camera pans back and forth at the perfect moment. Okay. Did you see the interaction this week with Henry Cejudo and um, Aljamain Sterling? And what did you make of that? I don't. See, I didn't see that. You want a matchup if he's right here. I'd love a tune up. What do you say, Precious? Serious? What do you say? Are you in the, you're, you're good to go now, yeah, huh? I'm good to go. Say what, it. What would you want to bend the knee at what time? Because I think you absolutely suck. What do you weigh? Go ahead. Carry on with the interview. 
Go ahead, carry on. That guy's crazy. No one, no one takes that dude serious. I, I honestly... He's gonna be smiling, laughing. He's not even, like, not even taking that serious. And I don't know, like, Sean was genuinely, like, are you serious? Like, I'll do it. Are, are you being real with me? Kind of like how a lot of the mm -hmm. MMA community is with, you know, Cejudo and how he's hinted at coming back. So while they were all so different, I do feel like the one that just felt the most authentic, the most genuine was that interaction with Volkanovsky. But when you look at what Volk's wanting to tackle next, move up to 155, I just don't know if that's in the cards right now. But I do think, regardless of if it's cringe or not, Henry Sudo does truly want to fight again. I really do believe so. He re-entered the USADA testing pool. We've talked about that a little while back. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what weight class it's going to be in. But I do really think he wants to fight, regardless of how they, they go down on social media. Let me just say how what a funny realization it was to me hearing you speak that uh, how your lack of understanding of the copyright laws. You think a little video on Twitter is going to get us in trouble? You posted whole scenes in our in our episodes, and right. you think that's what's going to get us copyright claimed? That was okay. I'm not going to lie, Dom. That's one of the funniest things you've said, and you didn't even realize it. I, I was, I was laughing so hard on the inside, but I didn't want to throw you off because you were making good points there. I, you look down the list and like, the Aljo fight. So just I don't know. For some like that one might be the most realistic of the three, and for some reason it just don't really do it for me. Maybe it's this clip surely did not help that. Mm -mm. But I just, I think I'm having a hard time just buying into that fight. Just like, what, it, what it's going to get me hooked in on that one? You know, Aljamain has had an interesting title run. He's <laughs> been legitimized after his rematch with Peter Jan for sure. Yeah. But he's not necessarily been um, warming himself to the community. He is. He tends to still be kind of at odds. He's sort of looked at as a bit of a villain, I guess, still, or someone that the fans don't really like that much, which is still kind of funny that it all stems from something that's not even his fault, but I digress. While Henry Cejudo is firmly, like, not the hero of his story either, he is, a lot of people don't like the cringe. They don't like the king of cringe. They, they think he's annoying. They... You know, they, a lot of people are saying they're uninterested in him fighting again. Um, you know, I've always been a big Henry Cejudo guy, but I firmly believe that when he comes back, like, it's a comeback fight, but, like, he is totally going to be the guy doing the shit talking in his fight, whoever it's against. Yeah. Um, so him and Aljo going back and forth, I feel like ever, I feel like people would hate watch that fight. Like, I feel like nobody would want any – like – when I'm saying anybody, I am a big Henry Cejudo fan, but I think the majority of fans watching would just like boo them both out of the building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the Volkanovski fight is the one I like the most out of the three. But we're, we, I just said my conspiracy on on Monday's <laughs> episode, and I'm not ready to back down from that. I mean, I think Volkanovski's looking up. Literally. Cejudo might be. Now, Cejudo, that could open up a door for if Volkanovsky's detoured a lightweight, if it happens, if it happens next. 
let's say it keeps him out for a while at, at featherweight, which again, I am so going to be pissed if that happens. That may open up some sort of stupid-ass interim title fight, and you best believe Henry Cejudo may... Henry Cejudo versus Max Holloway. No, 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 no. No, you don't do Max Holloway because you can't, you can't risk having him and Volk fight a fourth time. Yeah. But I don't know. Henry Cejudo versus Yair Rodriguez. I mean, what the hell is going on there? I don't know. Like it's, it's something. I just... It seems like the idea of Henry Cejudo fighting at featherweight outside of Alexander Volkanovsky is just very bizarre (laughs) to me. I know. Um, And then you got him and Sean O'Malley, which is very interesting. I I, I, I do find that very interesting. Honestly, like, I kind of realized after Monday's episode, like, I don't really care if they do Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz again. Like, obviously, I feel like they probably should. But, like, to me, it was a test for Sean O'Malley, but it's not, like, the test. Right. Right. Like, I'm, I firmly am on board with them, the UFC, completely rebooking Rafael Squared over and over again. Because I think that that is a big test for Fazayev. Yeah. With Sean O'Malley, it is a test, but he's not necessarily the test. And it's not because he's not good enough to win or anything like that. He was winning the fight before he got poked. It's just what nothing nothing out of his strengths, out of his skill set necessarily tells me that like he is the guy that O'Malley needs to prove he can beat to show that he's elite. Right. Henry Cejudo could very much be more in that kind of line. I mean, I don't know. I just I'm not even saying that. I just think Henry Cejudo would be a very fun matchup with Sean O'Malley. The, it would be. The talk for that fight would be comical. It would be hilarious. It would be fun to yes. watch. I mean, yes. And uh, that, that clip that went viral was just a uh, preview for that. Yes, very much. Also, from UFC 276, Dom, I don't I talked about this or addressed it on air, but uh, you, ever see, you ever had the books like Where's Waldo? Yes. They need to do a Where's Dana? Because he was nowhere to be seen Saturday night. Nowhere to be found at UFC 276. He wasn't. He wasn't there the entire fight week. He wasn't at the fights. Dominic, where's our favorite president? Where is he? What the hell? I don't know. He really (laughs) wasn't there. I knew he wasn't doing the belts in the ring or in the octagon. But yeah, he wasn't there all week. International Fight Week? He wasn't in the post-fight presser. Haven't heard from him since, and it's Wednesday now when we're recording this. He did do a couple interviews on Fight Week, but not near as many as he normally would. Yeah. I never saw any whereabouts of COVID. Yeah, COVID has been kind of rumored. And also, the fact that it's so hush-hush makes me think that maybe it's something, you know, maybe it's something personal. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think we, I think I speak for both of us that we just hope that uh, Dana White's okay. I mean, that's yeah, kind of because it's, I, it's just kind of crazy. Like it just kind of dawned on me afterwards. I'm like, he was he was not there. there. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's the biggest week of the whole year. Wow. He wasn't yeah. there at the last pay per view either. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, all is well. Yeah, um, and it's just funny. Like Chris Angel was in the crowd, but Dana White wasn't. I mean, Dom's just. <laughs> 
You're not in Vegas without Chris Angel, baby. <laughs> Chris Angel, the future president of the UFC, maybe. I don't know. Basically. Uh, next two. Both involving the PFL, so Dominic Claressa Shields. Kind of forgot about her a little bit, but she has still been trying to break through into MMA. She went one and one for the PFL, uh, where she's one and one, I guess, up to this point in the PFL. Um, she debuted a year ago or so, uh, then she lost on the same card as the championships, I believe. Yeah. Um, the it's been kind of up in the air since. Well, she just got announced that she's going to be boxing at the O2 Arena. In September, so Dominic, it kind of looks like we're not going to be seeing Clarissa Shields fight in MMA anytime soon. And I wonder if this puts her in future MMA in jeopardy coming off that loss last year. Yeah, this does make you wonder because she's still, you know, pound for pound the best women's boxer in the world and, you know, a multiple time Olympic champion in that sport. So, being that she is, you know, and she made it clear during the transition MMA that she wasn't just giving up boxing. She was still going to compete right. and do both. But with this long layoff, because we're talking she didn't. She fought Abigail Montes at uh, when were the championships in October of last year. So she hasn't October. fought since. Um, and we're heading into middle of July of 2022. She's boxing in September, which means she's in a boxing camp right now. It's going to be a full year practically have no real MMA. I'm, I'm not saying she hasn't been training over there at Jackson Wink, but I really just, I want, like, how sustainable is this? You know, if Clarissa is very serious about transitioning to MMA, then maybe this is like a swan song, one last big boxing fight in the O2 arena. But if you really want to make something of it, you don't have much time, man. So I, I, I just leaves me with questions about how serious she is now that, okay, she did taste defeat. It's very hard sport. Obviously the boxing talent that she possesses isn't going to be enough to beat the best of the best when you put together all these skill sets at MMA. So, you know, I, I hope the best for, her. I want to see her do what she wants to do, pursue what she wants to pursue. I just, I think it's very unsustainable to try and want to go back and forth because there's just too much on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, and I mean, if she's going to be picking anything, she's going to be picking boxing. I mean, that's of course. without question. And especially, I kind of wonder if maybe the Katie Taylor-Amanda Serrano fight may have had an impact because that fight was pretty massive. Yeah. And women's boxing before that had just not been near as lucrative as men's boxing. I mean, women's MMA was bigger than yeah. women's boxing. And it probably in some ways still is, but... You know, that Serrano-Taylor fight was just very big, Madison Square Garden. And yeah. now you've got Amanda Serrano and Jake Paul that are doing Madison Square Garden again in August. And Katie Taylor is going to be getting a big fight here soon, maybe with uh, Chris Cyborg or yeah. someone like that. Um, and this card, actually, that, that uh, Clarissa's fighting on, it's headlined by two, like, big women's fights. So and it's at the O2 Arena. So... Clearly, there seems to be this market right now for more women's boxing. And can't blame her for trying to capitalize on that since she is literally one of the best in the whole sport. Yeah. Um, but it does make you wonder. And she lost in pretty defession in her last time out. I mean, is she really wanting to go through that again for a sport that's just not really hers to begin with? I don't know. Right, right. 
Last one for the PFL. Ray Seppo said that the PFL is considering adding a men's bantamweight and women's flyweight division, Dom. Would these be the ideal choices in your mind to kind of add the PFL's uh, list of divisions? Got to be. Got to be the next. If you're going to add weight classes, it's got to be the next two you go after. Bantamweight all across the world is just on fire right now. These little 135ers are coming out the ass all over the place. Uh, and, and that just division is so talent rich. There's so many of them. I think the PFL has to capitalize in that market and get those guys. And then, of course, for women's flyweight, uh, you know how high I am on the flyweight division side of the UFC right now with all these young up-and-comers that aren't even in the rankings yet but that are coming in. And it's still relatively full and healthy uh, throughout that um, for the people that are in the top 15. So, yeah, if you're going to crash into new markets, get new divisions get new setups for your tournaments going forward those are the two ideal weight classes for the pfl to go after in my opinion yeah men's bantamweight's a no-brainer they should have already had it i mean they literally had umar namagamadov on the roster just a couple yeah. years ago and they couldn't yeah and now that what he's doing so it, this was uh too little too late in some ways but i'm glad that they're doing it they actually apparently i don't know if you were, have been seeing the uh, champion, I, I'm going to blank on his name. He's a Cage Warriors champion. Um, was it Damon Blackshear? Or De, that sounds DeRon? very familiar. The one that's been, uh, he's been tweeting, basically asking for his release lately. I don't know if you've been seeing. Yeah, I think so. Is I it Damon so. Blackshear? I, I'm sorry, I know Cage Warrior fans are probably like. Let us know nicely. Me real casual right now, I know. <laughs> but. Um, he posted that again he's been again just like yelling to anybody who will listen they will not let me out of my contract um which is kind of crazy when you really think about it but what I, my takeaway from one of his tweets was he said the pfl has offered him a multi-fight deal and one that would they wanted him to fight i think in london like this year so huh. pfl maybe having some big uh, plans for their future, maybe even going to try to get some of these Bantamweight fights on their undercard of the playoffs and championships, maybe. Please do. Sooner the better. Yeah, and women's flyweight, I think, even though it's... I I, I think we're undervaluing that division at this point. Like, me and Dom seem to be taking the red pill, I think, on that division. Like, we really believe in its future potential, but... um, I think a lot of people might look at that and go, well, why don't you just do 115 because, you know, straw weight's so loaded into UFC. Or why don't you do Bantamweight? You know, that's the OG women's division and yeah. MMA. But um, I think 125 might be the best of the best in terms of, especially now. A lot of the, that means you can kind of pull from undersized Bantamweights and oversized uh, straw weights. And, yep. Um, it kind of gives you a little more oomph, a little more crop to choose from. And then I think over time you'll see a straw weight or bantam weight division added, hopefully. So, yeah, yeah. I'm all yep. on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a couple fight announcements, Dom. Bellator 283, it's happening July 22nd, coming up quick. It was supposed to be headlined by the other Pitbull. No offense, Patricky Pitbull, the newly shrined Bellator lightweight champion. He was supposed to be making his first defense against Sydney Outlaw. 
Well, Dominic, he is unfortunately out with an injury. But this fight will stay on the card. It has been bumped from the main event spot. So now um, it was Douglas Lima, Jason Jackson is being bumped up to the main event. And that will be a five-round fight. And then this will probably be the co-main event. And Patricky being replaced by rising veteran and making his debut for Bellator officially, Tafik Musayev. So, Dominic, the thing here is Musayev, while never fighting officially under the Bellator banner, he's fought Bellator fighters over in Ryzen with the co-promotion. And most importantly, he has a win over the current Bellator lightweight champion in Patricky Pitbull. So a massive opportunity for Musayev to come in here on his debut, coming off a loss, actually, in his last fight in Ryzen for a belt. And he could potentially get one win over Sydney Outlaw and be fighting for the title in his next fight. Yeah, 100%. That's got to be the mindset for Tafik as well. If you do come in, you beat Sydney Outlaw on short notice in a co-main event slot, and you have history with the current champion. Oh, no, you have a win over the current champion in Bellator. That's all the storylines you need if you're Bellator right there, in my opinion. Um, it's unfortunate for Pitbull just because it was going to be his first title defense. You know, he, he got that vacant title shot, won it. Uh, convincingly and was going to make that first defense. Hopefully all is well with him. Hopefully if it's an injury, it's nothing too serious that he can get back shortly, hopefully by the end of the year. But yeah, I like this opportunity for Tavik against Sydney Outlaw. It's a number one contender fight, uh, regardless of if it's a debut or not. I'm here for it. Awesome. UFC Paris has added a pretty decent fight here in the middleweight division. Nasser Dean Imavov, we haven't seen him in a while. He's been kind of struggling to get fights to get into the octagon and he is going up against Joaquin Buckley, new Mansa coming up. So Joaquin Buckley making that jump to top 15 competition. How prepared do you think he is based off of the win streak he's on to go up against someone like Nasser Dinimovov? I like that. He's getting the opportunity for top 15. And again, when you have a performance like he did against a great physical demanding grappler like Albert Durayev, you got to feel a little bit more confident in him going into this fight, right, with Imovolve, because that's what he does. Imovolve a little bit more put together on the feet. I think he's a little bit more of a threat on the feet. But at the end of the day, he does love to keep that pressure forward, grapple a lot, drown his opponents. But I like it. I like this matchup. I believe Imovolve, I don't know if he is from France originally, but I believe he does fight out of there. So they're stacking this card at UFC Paris with people from Europe and from France in general. That card is already so great with the three or four we know of for sure. Now this one, a top 15 matchup, I love it. Keep adding on to it. It's your debut in Paris. You got to go big. I didn't realize that Imavov was uh, fighting out of there, so that actually adds a little bit more to that. Because the UFC don't, like with the London cards, yeah, they'll like stack it with a lot of the UK talent. But yeah. I feel like outside of that, they don't really, uh, maybe Brazil they'll do a little bit. But, you know, I, I always see people clamoring for like, like, you know, Volkanovski after his win Saturday. People are like, oh, his next defense needs to be in Australia. And it'll probably be in, like, Phoenix or Dallas or something. <laughs> yeah, which Salt Lake City, I don't Utah. really have a – yeah, like, I don't have a problem with that. But I've seen some people, like, Ariel has been kind of tooting mm-hmm. that horn a little bit. So, um, I don't know. I It's not really something that I care that much about. So, yeah, um, I digress. Let's get on into the rest um, of UFC Apex 58, the co-main event. 
sees two relative newcomers, two guys coming off of debuting victories inside of the UFC octagon, also two guys coming off of big contender series performances. That's right, contender series, very close to being back in our lives. Kayo Bahayo taking on Armin Petrosian. So, Dominic, this is two guys with kind of different takeaways from their first fight. Bahayo looked fantastic against another debuting fighter from the contender series, Godziev or Godziev. Unfortunately, super weird ending to that fight where um, I remember if it was a nut shot or an eye poke rendered Omar Godziev unable to continue in round three. That meant that it was the the second of our, like, the ref deciding that the fouls weren't... It was weird. But Bahia looked really good. So yes. <laughs> that's my takeaway. Really pissed off at fucking Mark Goddard that night. But um, Armin Petrosian had a tougher... His, he had stuff with fucking Robocop. Gregory Rodriguez, who we know is always down for a good scrap, even though the guy is so talented on the ground, he don't give a fuck. And they slung leather for three rounds, went back and forth. I actually truly lost fight. Like, he got kind of bad by Rodriguez, but somehow he gets the decision nod, and here he is. So my takeaways are kind of different from both fights, but I, how do you think that will favor him in a matchup with both? Ohio, who is a two-to-one favorite. Yeah, th- this is an interesting matchup. Also, shout-out to Kayo. It's his second UFC fight, and it's his second co-main event slot. Interesting there for him. Uh, but, yeah, it it's weird, man. This this is kind of that tale of the grappler versus the striker. Petrosian, reckless abandon, super powerful, great kickboxer. Kayo, phenomenal jiu-jitsu, great grappler, very physically strong. Big size difference for Armin in the height department being about five inches taller, but I found it interesting that Kayo has a four-inch reach advantage, so I just wonder if they will neutralize themselves, essentially. I want to see Armin, obviously, be tested in the grappling realm. Can he defend takedowns? Can he keep this fight on the feet? Can he fight off his back? Can he get top position? For Kayo, if he can't get the takedowns, how competitive can he be against a killer and Armin Petrosian. Uh, again, some people may look at this and scoff at it. Oh, this is a co-main event. Wave it off. I think this is a phenomenal matchmaking, and I'm all here for it being a co-main event. It's two guys from the Contender Series, combined 3-0 and on the show, fun fight styles, dominant in their own respective realms. I love everything about this fight. I think there's questions to be answered for both guys, young end of their UFC career. Might as well answer some now. I completely agree with you in most of what you said. I do think in an ideal world, fights are a little bit more stacked and this doesn't have to care of being a co-main on its shoulders. But if you compare this fight to a lot of the co-main events we get, it's up there for sure. Like I mean, mm-hmm. it's very rated in terms of skill we're going to see and the kind of fight we're going to see. But I'd like to think it's going to last quite a quite a bit, and I think we're going to see both these guys put on shows. So um, no, you can never uh, be opposed to that. Um, follow fight, Dom. We go down to bantamweight. I almost said featherweight, and we will be seeing Douglas Silva de Andrade. Maybe pound for pound the most beefy man in the UFC. Like, this is just like, this dude pisses motor oil, I swear. Like, this dude is fucking beefy. Yeah. And he's taking on 
Saeed, not related to Habib Nurmagomedov. So Dominic Saeed is coming off of, despite the the kind of betray, you know, the 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 lie of his last name. He doesn't really have any sort of noticeable tie to Habib. He is coming off a pretty electric four. He first minute submitted bantamweight uh, stay Cody Stamen. And now he's taking on Douglas De Andrade, who is twenty-eight and four in his MMA career. He's six and four inside of the UFC. So he has, I think, his competition outside the UFC just a little bit. But even in the UFC, this guy is a hammer, man. If you yes. do not put him away, he will make you pay. Mm-hmm. And he's done against the likes of Henan Burrell and Gaetano Perello. Sergey Morozov last week. Very talented. He got the win over Holly and Piva. Um, you know, with more, he just felt fell victim to kind of gassing out. And Douglas Silva de Andrade, despite his for relative to his size, he's got a pretty good case. But then you saw like Lorraine Murphy put on a great performance against him, but never could put him away. So it's he is a really tough guy to kind of. He's a tough matchup for sure. If you're a bantamweight, it just shows how talented this division is that a guy like that is not even sniffing the rankings right now. But yes. he is a tough test for anybody outside of it. And for Saeed Nurmagomedov, it's a necessary test. He's going to have to pass. I think he has some pretty big potential. But Dominic, how confident are you that he's ready for this kind of test? How confident am I? I mean... I'm relatively confident. I'll talk about that in the bet slip portion of the show, today's show, but I do think it's a great fight. I think it's great matchmaking, and I think this is another kind of tale of two fighters here because with Silva de Andrade, a little bit older, obviously he's 37 now, but he's got 20 knockouts, only two submissions. When you look at Saeed, he split evenly, four knockouts, four subs, and then obviously seven decisions, so he can get it done everywhere. I wonder, you know, because Saeed, too, when you see that Nurmagomedov last name, you automatically go to Alt. They're going to take you down and grind you out. Well, he's you know not afraid to stand up and bang. I think it could be a little dangerous against Douglas Silva de Andrade because of the power, but his technique and precision on the feet could counteract that. I think it's actually a really good fight. I do believe in Saeed. And like you said, it is a test he needs to pass. Two guys showing how stacked 135 pounds is on the outside looking in. Winner has a lot of upside. Even if you're, even if Andrade wins at 37, he's going to be seven and four potentially, 29 and four overall. You got to give him a chance up there. So I like this. I really like this. This one, this is the one that's opening our main card. I believe it still is. I did just get word that Nina Nunez, Cynthia Calvillo has been bumped to the main card. So I don't know if any of these fights are kind of out of order now, but we're still going to talk about them and we have on the sheet because I don't really know what the bout order is but uh, let's assume that this fight's still on the main card and i think dom and i don't mean hyper any like there's no um like i'm not uh talking shit about either of these guys when i say this i think these are two of the best fighters in the ufc that have under 500 records in the company is <laughs> okay what I, mean. I, like, see. Uh, I see jamie malarkey only only two and three in the ufc and i was surprised by that like i did not realize jamie malarkey he started two inside of the UFC. Then he won two straight and unfortunately ran into a hammer in Jalen Turner. While Mike 
Michael Johnson, we long ago, the story remains the same. When this guy is on, he can beat almost anybody. At this point, he's a little long in the tooth. He's a little bit older to the point where I don't quite think he can beat anybody anymore. But this is a guy who has beaten Dustin Poirier, knocked him out. That was Dustin where he ran into Habib, I believe. And then uh, he has wins over Tony Ferguson. Um, what was the other one? There's another one. that Oh, uh, Edson Barboza. Yeah. So wins over three just legends of the game. And, you know, that's been his highlights. But then you need the fights where he doesn't. He gets caught in a submission after looking good for two rounds. Or he gets caught by Josh Emmett with the right hand after winning most of the fight. Something string of bad luck. You know, it just seems to have kind of piled up to where now 13 of the UFC overall. But make no mistake, Dom, I think this is one of the better fights on the card. And I think these are two guys very motivated to get that kind of monkey off their back of being considered under 500 UFC fighters. Yeah, very much. That's what it is. I think it's a violent fight. Um, the veteran versus the young up-and-coming guy, but that hasn't performed as well as other young up-and-comers. Uh, so it is a fun fight. It's fan-friendly. I don't think it goes the distance. I think it's a banger, potentially even a fight-of-the-night contender, of course, on paper. So uh, no complaints here. I think it's going to be a great one. Hopefully they did keep that one on the main card. We'll find out Saturday. Oh, the fight that has been added to the main card. Women's flyweight division, Cynthia Calvillo, long from her days of being pegged by Dana White as the next Ronda Rousey, but yeah. still a top 10 fighter in this women's flyweight division. She'll be welcoming the wife of Amanda Nunes, Nina Nunes, who not just a champion, she is a top 10 strawweight in her own right. And now she's making the jump. What are you, I guess... What's the bigger if in this fight, okay? You're kind of walking with me here. I'm going to try to lead you down this path here, okay? Okay, okay. Okay, so the, the, the bigger if. So, or the bigger, I guess, what's the bigger, like, you need answered in your mind. So, Cynthia Calvillo, I just said she's kind of far from the days where she was sort of hyped up as a big prospect in the MMA but she still holds that ranking next to her name. She's not far removed from high-profile bouts with the likes of... She made a vintage with Jessica I not too long ago, I'm pretty sure. So yep. um, my question is, is Cynthia Calvillo... Is it, is, it, is it Cynthia Calvillo, how much does she have left? Or is it Nina Nunes making this jump up? How much, how much improved... Or not that she took in a brand new weight class. I hope I worded that because I'm getting out of my mouth. Yeah, so it's always, I think, worth noting when someone late in their career makes a weight class change. Now, this is moving up, so is it that she doesn't want to cut the weight anymore? Um, is it that getting harder, being that she's 36 now? Or is maybe it's just time for a change of scenery? She kind of went back and forth, wins and losses uh, at Strawway, albeit to great competition. I mean, her last fight was a Mackenzie Dern loss, so no slouch there. I think 
the question does more so lie for me though that what if factor to Cynthia Calvillo and I'm kind of shocked at myself for even picking that as my choice but it's just she's looked so lackluster three straight times out now in a row and again also to great competition Jessica Andrade she lost to Andrea Lee during her resurgence you know she was on our comeback fighter of the year in 2021 nominees so that was still you know that's not a bad loss at the time but um I, I don't know man it that hype she never did live up to so now she's 34 she's made she's even made weight class changes she's been at flyweight for a while now but can she really make a run because part of me almost just feels like when you look at that Andrea Lee loss it looked like she was just kind of done because that was one where it was it ended between rounds on the stool she didn't want to go back out there and fight anymore so I don't know there's a lot of like pessimism in me for both fighters here but I think it does lean more strongly toward Calvillo I'm actually a bit intrigued in Nunez at flyweight now she's always been a bit bigger at 115 she's just very strong and physical so I think there's not going to be much of a discrepancy here size wise uh, for the two when they step in there Saturday night but I'll go the bigger what if with Calvillo right now where their careers stand do you have an answer for that question yeah definitely Calvillo I think Nunez if anything this will help her going up you kind of said what do you do like not that she was she wasn't like a small uh, should be fine she's coming off of having a baby and stuff you know she's still trying to get her career kind of back into focus so um, I think it'll she'll be motivated she'll be good to go I'm sure not having to cut the extra 10 pounds Cynthia man I, I don't even know if you nailed it enough that like she didn't just disappoint in her last couple of fights she straight up looked kind of bad like surprisingly so i mean again 2020 a fight night where she won with jessica I. now is it one of the more made fun of main events of recent memory yes but she was still in that spot and even if yeah. the original main event that i'm assuming was there would have held on it was a high profile co-main event a fight that was important for that division at the time and she won but then she loses to caitlin chukagian no, no harm, no foul. Caitlin Chukagian kind of beats everybody. And again, Caitlin Chukagian, long, lanky for that division. Cynthia, a bit on the smaller size. All right, that's fine. But then the Jessica Andrade loss and the Andrea Lee loss. I have nothing against someone, you know, if they have nothing left. I have not, I hold nothing against a fighter who, you know, quits on the stool. You know, yeah. health is most important. But to me, it felt like she had one foot in, one foot out. Almost, she, I get a lot of the same vibes from her that I got from Jessica I at the end of her, her run. I just don't, I don't see the fire in her, which <laughs> what's so crazy is that was why Dana put her in that position to be the next Ron Bradley because she was such a fiery badass back in the day. Like she had yep. so much personality. So much skill. She was so aggressive. Went for it. And none of that seems to be there anymore. And I don't know how that happened. But it, it happened. And uh, to me, that's the big what if here. Or the big question between the two. And that want to see that Cynthia back. I want it. I want Cynthia, please come back. You know, I just want it. Right. Yeah, of course. 
Next up, Dominic, season 29, uh, Bantamweight, Bantamweight, yeah, Bantamweight Ultimate Fighter winner, Ricky Tercios is back for his second outing in the UFC, and he's taking on Eamon Zahavi, the twin brother of Ariel Helwani. So, uh, <laughs> Ricky Tercios, so I'm curious for you, when you watch the show and you've seen Ricky's first fight with Brady Highstand, which was a great fight, he has in such a talent back in weight division. Ricky, man, for me, the biggest storyline during that Ultimate Fighter season is the the heart on this guy. I I just feel like he is he is dead set on like accomplishing this goal of being a world class MMA fighter, and you know, winning the Ultimate Fighter was that first step for him, and it really felt monumental for his career. This is a guy that. Uh, is very in touch with his spiritual side of things. He's kind of like a modern-day Diego Sanchez is kind of the character that he reminded me of from that season one to season 29. And uh, he's just ultra-tough, super durable, well-rounded. He's a grinder. He's only got four finishes out of 11 victories, so he loves going the distance. He's not going to ever get tired. And for Zahabi, complete opposite. The guys went the distance twice in 10 fights. He loves finishing fights. Uh, or going out on his shield. So uh, I think this is a really good fight. I do think it's a tough debut uh, for Ricky Tercios, if I'm being honest, but it's one that I don't think he's incapable of passing. I, I, this, is a, this is a good fight. It is. Do I think Ricky Tercios has, like, the potential to be, like, you know, when you're talking about tough veterans, I don't necessarily think he's a future champion. But he doesn't have to be. It doesn't, you know, tough. We know that winning the Ultimate Fighter isn't the same as what it was when Forrest Griffin and Diego mm-hmm. Sanchez were winning it back in the day. But, you know, it is a badge of honor for sure. And I do think that um, for him, he's going to give a lot of, he's going to be a tough out for a lot of these guys. You know, he's going to outwill, he's going to be outmatched in certain fights that I think he will win simply by the willpower and the heart that uh-huh. he shows. So uh-huh. if for nothing else, that's truly a Diego Sanchez clone. If I've ever heard one in the description and I know Dana compared him to Diego as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited for that one. Uh, let's move on to the below average bet slip, Dom. Shall we? Well, I hope everybody's, uh, had a good 4th of July festivities. You know, let me just say, speaking of 4th of July, like this might be something for closing statements, but I already have something today, so I'll talk about it now. Of like, course. Luckily for me, I'm on a lot of different medications to where I can't even really drink alcohol. But if this was like last year and 4th of July was on a Monday, I mean, what a grind that is. Like, you're telling me that we have to party on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we have to, it's like, well, today is 4th of July. We have to keep partying. So, you know, I prefer my 4th of July's to be like on Friday, maybe Thursday. And then, you know, you go hard Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you take Sunday off, you know? Yeah, you recover. uh, The the Monday 4th of July is just brutal, man. I mean, again, I didn't really have to feel the effects because, you know, uh, you suckers i'm medicated but uh it was it was uh just just wanted to put that out there like man i i feel for a lot of the people out there that were going hard all weekend like you 
You woke up Monday and your sides were hurting. And you're like, oh, is that my liver? I sure hope not. And then and then uh, you're like, but I got to keep going. Where's my high noons at? <laughs> exactly, and, exactly. And oh boy, look at that poster. That poster is just... Uh, uh, fucking terrifying. They really should have brought... To- <laughs> this poster wouldn't be... Like, I've been seeing mixed reviews. I've seen some people say they, they kind of like it. And I'm not saying it's bad. But could they have put the red down just a couple shades? Like, why is it... <laughs> Because these two, if you look at the eyes, they look like demons. I mean, this is total, yeah. like, Hellboy vibes on here. Yes, but, yes. But for me, when I first saw it, I said, wow, they look like they got bad sunburn. <laughs> that's what I said. So, um, you know, that's... Sorry, guys. I'm just... I'm so white. I just think of that I, that kind of stuff all the time. Like, man, they really should have used their... their, their SPF 50. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Anyways, the bet slip. Yeah, look at that color code. <laughs> so we're to, we're still using DraftKings and FanDuel, but FanDuel proving that they're real casuals because they didn't have most of their odds up um, when we were placing everything earlier. So, uh, but we did get we did get them for one. So DraftKings dominating most of the share, and Dominic, we'll just go down in order. I'll start here. With a Rafael Dos Anjos money line at plus 180, got this on FanDuel. I'm, I'm going for it, guys. I truly think RDA is the more well-rounded fighter here. I think his skill set is a problem for Fazayev, who, even, at, even though he's looked really good in the UFC, he's not undefeated. He lost his debut, and he has shown... Moments of weakness. The third round against Bobby Green being one of them. He looked like he looked like a guy. Like at the end of that fight, he looked like he had lost, even though he ended up winning and he should have won. Like that fight took a lot out of him. And again, he looked much improved against Brad Rydell. But this is a whole nother ball game. You're going five rounds against a very durable opponent. RDA's only been finished via strikes twice, and I'm pretty sure neither one of them he actually got knocked down. At least the uh, Eddie Alvarez one was a standing TKO. So this guy, it's hard to put him on his back. It's hard to put him on the ground. I do think he'll have success if this fight stays standing for extended periods. He has the advantage. Like RDA is a talented striker, but Fazaya will light his ass up. Yeah. To me, where RDA wins this fight is in those later rounds. He's gone five minutes or 25 minutes, five rounds, excuse me, multiple times. He never looks to be gassing, getting tired. Even against Moicano, where he got he almost that was probably the closest I've seen him to kind of gassing out, and that's because he had just punished that dude so much and he wouldn't go away. Fazayev, I I don't see it becoming that kind of battle. I think it's gonna become a war of nutrition. And I go RDA ten times out of ten in a cardio battle. And skill sets, I think Fazayev's going to have to fight off a lot of takedown attempts, a lot of clinch-heavy attack, and that's just going to gas him out even more. So um, RDA Moneyline, I, 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 I didn't really think about this fight that closely until like this week, and once I did, I was kind of surprised at how heavy I was on RDA, but I'm putting my money where my mouth is. The dogs are barking this week, Dom. And uh, that's a good transition for you to talk about this next one for us. 
Yeah, so we both put a unit down on Courtney Casey money line at plus 155. Obviously, the green DraftKings color-coded blue was FanDuel for RDA. But um, there's two underdog picks here for me that I felt were dog or pass situations. Uh, and this is the first one, Courtney Casey taking on the older sister of Valentina Shevchenko and Tanina Shevchenko, both relatively lackluster in the UFC back and forth records. I think like a three and four on the side of Antonita for Courtney Casey, her overall record in general is just 10 and nine. So neither woman with pretty records, but dare I say, Noah, Courtney Casey's last performance, and I'm going to forget how to say her name, but I think it was, um, Jujua was the last name. She's no longer in the UFC. So it doesn't make Liana. 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 Yeah. Yeah, um, and that's who Courtney beat. And I know, again, she's not in the UFC anymore, but that was the best Courtney Casey has ever looked in the UFC, in my opinion. I thought she looked very well-rounded. She looked solid on the feet, crisp, powerful. Her pace uh, was nonstop for 15 straight minutes. And I just think that right now in her career, she's a couple years younger than Antonina as well. I just feel like right now momentum is more on her side. I feel like she's more consistent in terms of what we see from her in the cage. You know, a couple of her losses are even via split. A couple of those go her way. That record looks a little bit more pretty than 10 and nine for Antonina. She's not showed me anything that makes me think. And again, I'm not trying to compare to Valentina. I'm absolutely not doing that, but you would, I, I think the odds are so heavily in her favor at a minus 180, I believe minus 190 because of that last name, because this feels like a coin flip fight to me at both points in their careers. But if you're giving me plus 155 on Courtney Casey, who looked great in her last fight, but Antonina's coming off of two straight losses where she hasn't looked great in neither one of them, and really she hasn't looked great in her whole entire UFC career, I'm going to take the underdog, uh, Courtney Casey, 10 times out of 10. So I have no shame in taking that, and I know that Noah's much of the same. That's why he's riding that one with me. So next up, Ronnie Lawrence. We have a banger to kick off this UFC Vegas 58 card. I have because... a bird. His name's Ronnie. <laughs> you know what that's from? kind of startled me a little bit. I do not, actually. It's from the longest yard when uh, Brucey gets knocked out. He's like, I have a bird. His name's Ronnie. And he's like, Chris Rock's like, well, tell Ronnie you got knocked the fuck out. Who, 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 put the, who put the football on butter? I get, this is the popcorn. It's the popcorn. Uh, so the first fight of the night, Ronnie Lawrence, and I'm not going to fuck this name up, Sedyo Cub Kakramanov. Yes, I hit that nail on the head in the first attempt. Did you just have a stroke? No. The, Ronnie Lawrence may have the best gas tank in UFC history. This dude does not stop churning the wheels for 15 straight minutes. A grinder, if I've ever seen one. Both these guys, great records. 8-1 and one for Ronnie, 9-2 and two, uh, for Sadio Cub. I'm just going to say Sadio Cub because that's how it's spelled. Uh, he did debut. He's 1-0 in the UFC. He did defeat Trevin Jones, submitted him in the third round. But Ronnie overall, in terms of a full skill set, um, and again, match with that. Um, gas tank that he has matched with. I think he's just better on the feet, a better striker. Minus 140, pretty solid odds for a fight that I think Ronnie's capable of winning nine times out of ten. I'm going to take that chance. Um, but don't you have to tune in for the first fight of the night because I think it's going to be a banger. Yeah, Ronnie Lawrence funny. money line. Uh, next, <laughs> it's so fitting that Kennedy <laughs> in Sechukwu is making his appearance two weeks after the infamous 
mixing his name with Tafana and Chukwe and um, um, like three Chidi. other guys with Chidi and Jokawani. Yeah, I mixed like four different names together. Kennedy Inzichukwu is back in action. I took him money line at minus 130. And not just because I felt bad about butchering his last name, but because, no, he's taking on Carl Roberson, who is nine and five. He has lost three straight fights all via finish. He's moving up to light heavyweight from middleweight. And boy, what a debut to have because Kennedy is four inches taller and has a nine-inch reach advantage. No, I just simply think Kennedy's the bigger man. He's so much longer. I don't know if Carl is going to be able to close the distance enough to even find success. I even think Kennedy uh, by finish or even more specifically by knockout is highly in play here. But I didn't want to get too crazy. We've seen Kennedy go the distance a couple times. So I just took him straight up at minus 130. I felt that that was a great value, so I'm going there. And then the last money line play of the weekend for the bet slip, Nina Nunez, much similar to Courtney Casey, dog or pass situation. We just talked about this fight between her and Cynthia Calvillo. Calvillo has continuously underperformed and looked honestly like continuously worse fight by fight. Again, good competition. I get it. But when you're not showing me anything, it doesn't really matter what your competition is. And for Nina, I do kind of like that. I, I know I'm a little bit pessimistic of the weight move, but she's going up. She's not going down. I think it fits her better. She on She actually is an inch taller uh, than Cynthia in this one. So the size difference not going to come into factor. I think Nina is a much better boxer if she keeps this on the feet. And I think she does keep it on the feet because as good of a grappler as Calvillo is, she never utilizes it. I don't know why she doesn't look to wrestle or grapple more, but she doesn't. And if she does, Nina has a 76% takedown defense. I think this stays on the feet. I think Nina pieces her up for three rounds and wins the decision. Plus 130, that's three dog plays out of five on the money lines. As Noah said, the dogs are barking. The dogs are barking. And Dominic really just, <laughs> this week more than any other, I didn't realize he put all his plays in order and then my plays basically. So <laughs> we're all just going to get to talk for long periods yeah, yeah. of time, so, which is fine. Uh, so now for me, 1.35 units. This is a minus 135 play. Your heavyweight showcase of the week sees two guys coming in with a combined seven straight losses inside the UFC. Jared Bandura taking on Chase Sherman. I have this fight to not start round three. And I'm calling this play the, oh, please, God, don't let this go to distance play. Okay, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I, if this fight goes to distance, we're, we're in for a tough, a tough road here. So... Jared Vandura, Chase Sherman, no disrespect to either guy. Don't know why they're on the main card because they're struggling. I mean, that's the yeah. reality here. Uh, I think Vandura's one and four in the UFC, and Chase Sherman combined three and nine across two different uh, yeah stance. Uh, terms. Yeah, so, but both guys capable of a finish for sure. I mean, Chase Sherman, I'm pretty sure every win he has outside of maybe one is via knockout. And then Jared Bandura is actually kind of he's got he's actually a BJJ black belt I think so uh, mm -hmm. kind of and he even showed against Alexi Olenek before he got submitted that he was capable of getting the back and kind of putting some submissions on you know so I'm just gonna believe that one of these two guys is gonna get a finish here or else my God will I be crying um, next up 1.3 units Kennedy Chukwu. 
as Dominic politely and accurately said this time. And Carl Roberson, I have their fight to go under two and a half rounds. Pretty simply, if you look at these two over their <laughs> last five fights, as I pull up the tape, as I pull up my, yes, of my little cheat sheet here, um, both guys coming off of tough, I mean, combined five straight losses between these two. But I do like this fight a little bit more for for in terms of on paper. Like, I think yeah. these guys do have more to offer than what I was talking about with the heavyweight fight. And um, for Roberson, you're right. Three straight losses, all via finish, like you said. Also, before that, had a submission win over Roman Kopilov. Um, so four straight finishes and four straight fights, even if three of them were losses. And then for Enze Chukwu, he is coming off a decision loss to Nikolai Nagumarunu. <laughs> that was that we, one. We had a we, bet on that one, I think. Yeah, we, we both doubled down, and that was a super <laughs> close fight. But outside of that, Dom, he lost by knockout to Dagen Jung. He knocked out Danilo Mar- Marquis Marquez, and he knocked out Carlos Zalberg. So this guy... Mostly a finisher. Both these guys are very lean, very heavy on their finishes. Um, Enze Chukwu four decisions in twelve fights. Roverson three decisions in fourteen fights. Um, both guys explosive. Both guys have advantages over the other. I think Roverson going to look to grapple here. Enze Chukwu having that uh, distance advantage, a nine-inch reach advantage, going to be looking to keep him at range and. Someone's going to go down here. I just don't see that. But it could be one that comes a little later. So that's why I'm doing under two and a half. I don't feel confident enough in like a first round stoppage or something. Mm -hmm. That's just, I think that's a little too much. Even though the juice is on that, I don't think it's worth the squeeze. Now, after (laughs) that, 1.6 units, minus 160. Co-main event, Bohio Petrosian over one and a half rounds. This is a little risky, in my opinion. I know it's one. I know it's minus one sixty, but I do feel pretty confident, though, in both guys' durability. But in terms of on a UFC scale, you mu- we must admit that we're kind of neat. we're in uncharted territory with these two. Mm-hmm. Petrosian proved against Rodriguez he can fucking take it, man. I mean, he took yeah. an unbelievable amount of punishment and stayed alive, and even won the fight. Even though I didn't think he won the fight. It was close enough to where, you know, you couldn't really call it a robbery. Well, Caio Bahio didn't have much adversity in his first UFC fight, but boy, is he a hammer. And yeah. I mean, almost too much to the point where he was doing some illegal <laughs> shots that ended the fight early. But both these guys, their power doesn't seem to go away over the course of three rounds. So I think they're going to be locked and loaded, heavy fisted for the entirety of the fight. But I also just trust their durability. So even if there's a late finish, which I could firmly see, I think it happens after the midway point of round two. Or sure, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I like it. Last one. <laughs> 1.5 units on Zahavi, Tercios, to go the distance. I nearly played Ricky by decision. That was the original, which was like a plus 120. Yeah. So if you feel very confident in Ricky, I think that's the play. Yes, for sure. But I think that this is a very even matchup between him and Zahabi. And even though, like you mentioned, Zahabi only two decisions in ten fights, if you look a little closer, yes, he does have quite a bit of finishes, but he he kind of he doesn't necessarily have like a ton of power. 
or anything like that. He kind of does it with his, with just, I mean, it's punches and bunches. It's the pace he puts on people. Um, I don't think that that skill set is what's going to put Ricky out. I think if you if you're someone who's going to put Ricky out, I think it's going to be by overwhelming him with power. Um, I don't think punches and bunches because he's such a high paced, high volume guy himself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think replicating that in the other corner is going to be what puts him away. So for both these guys, I think they're well matched in terms of they have similar skill sets. It's just. One's used to going the distance and one's not. But I do think in this case it does. I'm leaning Ricky, but I also think this fight could be really close, Dom. We've been seeing a lot of decisions where, you know, it's kind of up in the air. I was willing to take the pay cut in terms of the payout and go add a little more to my upfront. But that way, if Zahabi gets a decision that's razor thin, I still get the winning there. So I'm trying to be smart. This is my... I can't trust the judges play. So mm-hmm. you all, you know, that's 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 what it is. So I like um, it. That's all for the singles. We'll move on to the parlays. And I guess I'll start with mine uh first here. My money line pl- parlay, two legs. All these are two legs actually. Plus one eleven, Kayo Bahio and Jamie Malarkey. So I've already kind of said my piece about Bahio. Um I'm going a little bit off of what I've seen from both guys up to this point, even though Petrosian had a much tougher first fight in terms of the opponent, and I just thought he did win the fight. But I, I like Bahio being a more well-rounded fighter. I also think he's very explosive. I think he's going to have a speed advantage. But Petrosian does hit like a truck. I just think Bahio has more weapons, more skills, more ways to win. Jamie Malarkey. Man, I wanted to put, I wanted to ride with my dude Michael Johnson. He won me some money last time out against yep. Adam Patrick, but I think Jamie Malarkey is really good. I do. I think it's a tough matchup for Michael Johnson. They're really throwing him right back into the fire. Um, two and three in the UFC, but I mean, the Jalen Turner loss, like, are we really going to hold that against him? And at, at 155, Jamie Malarkey seems like a real problem for a lot of guys, especially. Someone who you can't ever really trust if he's going to be at a, his full, confident, skilled self or if he's going to be lacking a little something coming in. Yeah, yeah, I like that, Noah. Uh, for my money line par- parlay, it came in at plus 100. Copy and paste what Noah said about Kayo. I just think more routes to victory, especially if he gets the fight on the ground, then I really see problems uh, for him against Armin Petrosian. Second leg, Saeed Nurmagomedov. Oh, well, I bet it because of his last name. I'm just kidding. I think he is just the more well-rounded fighter. He is seven years younger than Douglas Silva de Andrade. I think he's um, just a little bit better everywhere. If he can just avoid the big shots of Andrade, I think he bests him on the feet. I think he can outgrapple him. I think he can just work at a great pace for 15 minutes if that's what the fight calls for. And again, kind of just more past victory. If, if you're Silva de Andrade and you don't land that power shot to really rattle Saeed for the remainder of the fight or put him away, I think you're going to have a hard, a hard time getting to the younger, more athletic, just better fighter, in my opinion, right now at that point in their careers. So that was plus 100. And then I'm back. It's been a long time since I've had a variety parlay. And this is a violence variety parlay it's plus 103 vandura sherman inside the distance johnson malarkey 
inside the distance. Copy and paste again what Noah said about Van Der and Sherman to not start round three because I think it's two guys that are due for a win. Dare I say, both guys are fighting for their damn careers in this fight. I think they will go out reckless abandon. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want to put it out there that I think Jared Van Der by submission may just be worth a little bit of a sprinkle this weekend. Yeah, I'm just saying. Completely agree. Completely agree. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, these guys, 75% not gone the distance, 80% not gone the distance. These guys go out on their shield, win or lose by the finish, and I think it's going to be much of the same there. So I like that. And then Johnson, Malarkey. I worry it a little bit on this one simply because Michael Johnson is pretty damn durable, but he has been finished 11 out of his 17 losses. And maybe that's just me leaning more toward, well, I just think Jamie Malarkey's going to win. Because he's finished 16, or 16 of his 19 have not gone the distance. He's finished 13 out of 14. So I just think whichever the case, Malarkey is prone to being finished as well. And I think Michael Johnson obviously carries the power to do so. You saw what he did to cash that ticket for Noah the last time that he was out. So I think that fight, again, probably my early pick for fight of the night, if I'm being honest. But that doesn't mean it's got to go all three rounds, baby. I think that gets finished inside of the distance, <laughs> plus 103. And lastly, I want to be honest with everybody and let you know that even though it's not on here right now, there will be a play added to this when we tweet out on Friday when our <clears> video <throat> goes live for this segment to be on YouTube separately because I will be placing something on my boy David Odama. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know how much it's going to be, but there will be a play for my boy. They just don't have the odds out yet, so I got to see what's going on with the bookies but just so you guys know there it is well well said Dom I kind of yeah, well do you have anything else you want to say about David Onama because we kind of skipped over him and the rest and uh just super excited to have him back <clears throat> I've never had a guy come in in his debut and pull on my heartstrings and make me a fan so quick as David Onama yeah you went out on a limb and said he was your prospect to watch out for yeah. this year despite the fact that he had yet to win inside the UFC yeah yeah and he looked great in that second fight against Gabriel Benitez looked a little iffy at first but he came on strong got the first round finish uh, but a little bit of a fun fight here for those that don't know. He's fighting Garrett Armfield. It's a short-notice opponent, obviously. Uh, but these two have <coughs> some history with one another. Back in their amateur days, they fought for an amateur title, and Onama got the win by decision. So it's just two killers stepping into the octagon, and I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be a great fight, and I just love David Onama, so I got to ride with him on that best slip. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Um well, that's it for us. We're going to transition into closing statements. Part of the show, we can get anything and everything off our chest, MMA or not, and head off into a great weekend of fighting. So, Dominic, you didn't have anything on Monday. Do you have anything today for closing statements? I do. So this is like a part two closing statement from one I've made before. Mm. To my Stranger Things fanatics out there, the season four finale has been released i have finished it quite the roller coaster of emotions that finale by the way quite the marathon two hours and 20 minutes it's a fucking let's a movie wow. basically yeah jesus so you're gonna you gotta dedicate some time to watch it but uh incredible fantastic end of the season one more season and then it's off into the sunset so we're gonna have to wait a little bit for it I'm a little bit sad, but I'm going to be more sad when the show's all said and done, so I can't complain. But for those of you that watch Stranger Things, what'd you think of season four without spoilers? Noah hasn't watched it yet. No spoilers in the comments. 
But let us know, did you like it? What's your favorite characters? What are you looking forward to for the final season? But yeah, love that show. Never was into sci-fi, Noah, ever, until that show hit Netflix. Yeah, and it's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite shows of all time, so... So you're not a sci-fi guy like not a star wars guy like well you like the superhero movies so yeah see that's where i always wonder that debate are the superheroes i guess they are sci-fi but for from for some reason sci-fi to me i think of like aliens and like like the magical like harry potter kind of i don't know maybe i just have a weird spectrum oh, harry potter is not sci-fi either that's yeah. uh fantasy i guess technically it's yeah. dominic dominic just if you ever have a question on what a genre is just ask your boy oh, i know. You know i'm a big movie guy you know so that's fact but i get what you're saying like yeah yeah um i mean star wars is like the sci-fi like that's yeah. what you point to and go that's what sci-fi is uh the superhero movies today are very grounded in reality so like it's kind of they don't feel very like other world like out there but that's how a lot of sci-fi is nowadays like uh a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, like Inception's mm-hmm. kind of sci-fi. Interstellar's a lot of sci-fi. Um, I know I've seen um, the movie he had come out last year, so I don't know if that is. But I'm actually going to talk about Stranger Things just a little bit as well. I have not started the season, just full transparency. So I would appreciate spoilers in the comments they're just gonna get blocked i guess i mean i don't know what you can't let that go unpunished yeah yes but um but i'm gonna complain about like these massive fans of the show that are on facebook Uh i'm i have a bone to pick okay because unfortunately because it Oh Ooh, God. this is grinding you bad. I can feel it. I'm trying to hold back. Yeah. Because there's people that I know that have done this. And Trail not Dom. Up. Not Dom. Dom doesn't get on Facebook very much. So. <laughs> right. But I get on Facebook just to chill with family. But I get on it. You know, when I'm bored, I get tired of scrolling through Twitter. I'll go over to Facebook and look around. It's a lot of political stuff that I don't care about. But, yeah. you know, it's all there. So I get on there. And the the Stranger Things super fans cannot shut their mouths. And unfortunately, I've already had multiple things of the season spoiled oh. due to people sharing memes or literally posting like, oh, my God, how could this happen to insert name here? And I was like, and then, of course, my curiosity gets the best of me. I go, I don't recognize that name. Look it up. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. So that's just a shame. Uh, just, just you know, it's just this is why I, you know, you always have to be like I, I get it. I should have watched it when it came out. But man, guys, like uh, I watch a lot of stuff. Like yeah, I got a yeah. stranger. I don't have two hours twenty minutes for no Stranger Things finale right now. Yeah, yeah. I but I but now I I do need to watch. I do love the first three seasons i mean i love it yeah i love that show yeah. i mean that so show good. is so I, have, I do have a sense of nostalgia for that time period i know i didn't grow up in it but <laughs> yeah it's uh that show really is it really is like a, a show that fits my interest a lot so um i do need to watch it 
but now I'm just deflated because super fans of Stranger Things have ruined it. So I hope everybody's happy that they shared their stupid ass, unfunny Facebook memes about the season because now it has spoiled multiple large arcs of the show for me. So that's great. Just thank you. You know, that makes me sad for you, my friend. I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We're the Blue Average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Monday.